Good morning, everyone, and good morning to those watching and listening at home. And a big thank you to Johnny and the band for leading us so well in our worship this morning. If you have your Bible with you, would you please turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 4. John's Gospel, chapter 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? 
The woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that ever I did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And then down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's just pause for prayer. Our Father and our God, we acknowledge that you know us better than we know ourselves. You know the various circumstances that we pass through in life. You know, O oh God, how hard it is at times for us to focus because we're distracted by what's happening in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that for this short time, all those distractions would be set aside, that we might focus on your word, that we might see Jesus that we might be drawn to him who loved us and gave himself for us. And we pray in his worthy name. Amen. Amen. You never know what a day will bring. We're looking this morning at the fascinating story of an ordinary woman who woke up one morning, just like any other morning, and set about her daily tasks just like any other day, except that this was the day when she would meet Jesus. She would meet Jesus, and her life would never be the same again. And wouldn't it be wonderful if someone was here this morning, and you woke up this morning just like any other morning, and you think this is just like any other day, wouldn't it be wonderful if this morning you met with Jesus and your life changed forever? We've read together a long but an incredible account of Jesus coming face to face with a woman in Samaria, and their interaction is absolutely fascinating. Now, any preacher worth their salt would probably take about six weeks to go through that passage in order to do it justice. It is so brimful of truth. It doesn't say a lot about me because I'm hopefully going to cover it in the next 20 minutes. But it is a story, a true story, an historical account that contains so many nuggets, golden nuggets of truth. And each of those nuggets gives us a little glimpse of truth. Truth that I hope will encourage us, enlighten us, and challenge us all this morning. Now, many of these golden nuggets are easily missed. They're easily overlooked, especially if we just do a casual reading of that passage. 
But I hope this morning to unpack some of those golden nuggets as we work through the passage together. The first thing I want us to see is that we are given a glimpse of Christ's divinity and purpose. In verse 4, we read the words, And he, that is Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. There is a sense of importance, a sense of urgency of Jesus having to pass through Samaria. The King James Version says, He must needs go through Samaria. It's referring to something more than simply the direction of travel. A literal translation would be, and it behoved Jesus to pass through Samaria. This is where we get a glimpse of Christ's divinity. He is the God-man. And as such, he had a pressing need to go through Samaria. He had an important purpose to go through Samaria. You see, Jesus, as God, knew who he would meet there. There is a woman that Jesus wants to meet. Jesus was always about his father's business. He was always doing God's will. And it is God's will that Jesus passes through Samaria to meet this woman. This is God's will. Now, we've read that the Jews and the Samaritans had no dealings with each other. In fact, they hated one another. They wouldn't even speak to one another. And many many believe that the Jews actually renamed the place where Jesus met this woman. It had been known as Shechem, and it was changed by the Jews to Sychar. Now, Sychar is a name of reproach. It basically means a place of drunkards. And so it was used as a derogatory term. And later on, you can look up Isaiah 28. It's referred to there as that. Now, according to Josephus, the Jewish historian, the shortest route, while most definitely to go from Galilee to Jerusalem and vice versa, was via Samaria. The Pharisees, however, refused to take that route. Even though it was shorter, they despised the Samaritans so much, didn't want to see them, didn't want to meet them, didn't want to talk to them. So they would take a long route through Perea. They would have to cross the River Jordan going one way, cross it again coming back the other way. Such was their dislike for the Samaritans. And many of the Jews followed suit. Historians would also tell us that some of the Jews feared for their safety going through Samaria. They were genuinely afraid because of the hatred between them. Think of it in a practical way if you're traveling from Belfast to Carrickfergus and for some reason you don't like the people of White Abbey. Now, if you're from White Abbey, I apologize, but it's just for the illustration. You don't like the people of White Abbey. In fact, you despise the people of White Abbey. You don't want to meet them. You don't want to talk to them. You don't want to see them. So instead of traveling directly through White Abbey from Belfast to Carrickfergus, you decide to drive to Ballyclare, Ballynure, and then drop down to Carrickfergus. It doesn't make sense. There's a shorter route. But that was their feelings. 
I don't know what it is about people of White Abbey that made me even think like that. Although I do know a girl, a lovely girl, and I know for a fact she lives in White Abbey. And I also know when everybody asks her where she lives, she tells them Jordanstown. <laughs> I'm not sure what that says about White Abbey, and I'm not sure what it says about Jordanstown. But for sure, the Jews did not want to go the short route in order to travel from Galilee to Jerusalem. But you see, this was not about Jesus taking the shortest route. This was about Jesus keeping an appointment that God had planned before the foundation of the world. Think of that. This tiny phrase in verse 4 that he had to go through Samaria actually tells us an awful lot. Jesus is the God-man, fully God, fully human. He knew he had to go that way because he had to meet this ordinary woman in Samaria. It was God's will. And so Jesus is displaying his divinity and his purpose. He was doing God's will and knew who he would meet there. The second golden nugget, if you like, is the fact that we get a glimpse of Christ's humanity. Verse 6, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. Here we get a glimpse of Christ the man. We clearly see Jesus the man. He is tired from his journey. He is wearied, the Bible says, from his journey. He needs to rest. He needs to sit down. In just a couple of verses, we've, got, we've gone from Jesus as God to Jesus as man. Now, God doesn't need to rest. This is a glimpse of Jesus, the man. Even in Genesis, God didn't actually rest on the seventh day. He simply ceased from work on the seventh day, having done the work of creation. And so in this verse, we see the frailty of human nature. We get tired, don't we? Jesus got tired. And it's important for us to grasp the full humanity of Jesus. Remember, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We can say that so easily. It can pass us by so easily. Think about it. God the Son, the Son of God, became a man. Do we believe this? Do we understand that? It's difficult to understand. Jesus, the man. This, of course, informs us that he experienced life as we know it, yet without sin. This means he understands our struggles. He understands our frustrations. He understands our temptations. He understands our weaknesses. As God, he knows what we're going through. But as man, he has experienced what we're going through. Difficult to grasp why Jesus would leave heaven's glory to enter this world and take on human flesh, isn't it? 
And according to Vine's dictionary, the Greek word that's translated wearied, he was wearied from his journey, has a deeper meaning. It means to be beaten out, absolutely drained, absolutely exhausted. Today, with slang, we'd probably say, he was busted. Have you ever heard people saying that? Are you okay? No, I'm absolutely busted. That's the extent of the weariness. It wasn't, I've had a dander and I'm a wee bit tired. He was absolutely exhausted. Jesus, however, chose that route because he is God. But he had to sit down because he was human. The Son of God, God the Son, took on flesh. He understands the difficulties of life. I want to say to you this morning, whatever you're going through, doesn't matter what it is, whatever you're going through this morning, Jesus understands. You can trust him with your life. You can trust him with your soul. It's just a glimpse this morning of Christ's humanity. And then thirdly, we get a glimpse of Christ's ability to change a person's life. In verses 7 to 15, which we've read earlier, we see the real reason behind why he had to go through Samaria. Doing his Father's will, it's the Father's will that Jesus should meet this woman and change her life. He had to travel through Samaria. He had to get tired, busted, if you like, from the journey. He had to rest beside the well. Why? Because there's a woman coming to that well. And God knows all about her. And God wants to change her. How wonderful, how incredible that God had planned to change this woman's life. Only Christ can change a life. The building that we're in this morning is not a well. Obviously, it's not a well. But it may be the place where you've come to meet Jesus. He alone has the ability to change your life today. Perhaps it's you that's busted Exhausted, wore out, trying to figure out what life's about. Time and time again, you think you've figured it out and you know it's not right. You've searched, you've looked. Life isn't what you think. Jesus knows all about you. He alone can save you. He alone can change you. We read that Jesus then asks this woman for a drink. He has nothing to drink from. And the woman at this point has no idea who Jesus is. She actually says to him, Why is a Jew asking me for a drink? A woman of Samaria. And Jesus replies to her, Oh, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. But she doesn't understand. He has nothing to give her a drink from. So what's this living water he's talking about? Of course, Jesus is using water as an illustration. We need water for life, and we keep needing water for life, don't we? But 
but she just doesn't get what he's saying. Everyone who drinks of this water, says Jesus, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She still doesn't understand. She actually says, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and not have to come here to draw water. She likes the idea of not having to come to the well every day to draw water. But she's not understanding that Jesus is talking about something deeper and spiritual. The life giver who is Jesus can change our lives and satisfy us. Jesus is referring to his ability to change a person's life. He alone can give this living water. And surrendering to his rule in our lives, he transforms us, he satisfies us, and he changes us. Jesus can fully satisfy our deepest needs. We get temporary pleasure, don't we, from pursuing various things. There's no denying that but they don't fully satisfy. Whatever you've thought as a child or a teenager, or you've gone to work, you've gone to uni, and you've all your thoughts and your plans and your notions, and somehow it's going to fill your life, you're going to feel fulfilled, and everything's going to be good, and life's not like that. No matter how good your life is without Christ, it's not satisfying. And you have that ache inside you that things aren't what they're meant to be. And you still will ask, what is life about? We can all strive in our lives to find meaning, can't we? Often people are great carers. And they're lovely people. And they care for people. And they give to people. They really do. And often they do it because they actually enjoy helping people. That's a lovely thing. But even they, with all that satisfaction of helping others, know in their hearts something's missing. Something's missing. All the success and achievements in the world will still leave us empty and unfulfilled. Our thirst for life is only satisfied in Christ. Those who seek Christ, those who receive Christ, find life in all of its fullness. The end of searching, the end of empty living, the end of selfish pursuits, all those things leave us disillusioned. Jesus changes people's lives. All we have to do is ask of him and receive the living water that he's speaking about. Life, spiritual life, meaningful life. These words of Jesus give us just a little glimpse of his ability to change people's lives. And then fourthly and finally, we get a glimpse of Christ's compassion for broken people. I love this. Verse 16, Jesus says to the woman, and it just sounds so simple what he says, but there's a lot more in it. He says to her, go call your husband and come here. Sounds simple, doesn't it? 
see up to now, Jesus had been so patient, so considerate, so gentle with the woman, who up to now has not understood anything that he's said. But Christ's words, go call your husband and come here, while they sound fairly innocuous, they only do until you read the woman's reply and the words of Jesus that follow. Don't miss this. She says to Jesus when he says, go call your husband and come back here. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus, who knows everything about us, knew everything about her. And he says, you're right. You're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Could you imagine the shock? Could you imagine the utter amazement? I've just told him I don't have a husband, and he's just told me everything about me. Despite the fact that she had five husbands and was now living with a man, I want you to notice something, because I find it very interesting. Jesus does not utter one word of condemnation or judgment. She's had five husbands, is now living with a man. Jesus knows that this woman, like so many of us, has been seeking happiness, fulfillment in human relationships. She's gone from one broken relationship to another. She hasn't given up on men, although you couldn't blame her, but she hasn't given up on men, but she does seem to have given up on marriage. She's not found what she's looking for. A searching soul seeking from human relationships something that can only be found in a relationship with God. And she's the same as us, in need of living water, in need of Christ. Oh, she must have been broken emotionally, and psychologically, having had five failed marriages and presumably five divorces. Now, divorce can often be one of the most traumatic experiences in life. And certainly an unwanted divorce is utterly devastating, especially for a Christian. But here is an incredible glimpse into Christ's compassion for broken men and women. No judgment, no condemnation, just compassion. Think it through. Jesus is doing the Father's will. He has to go through Samaria to do that will. Why? Because he has to meet the woman that God wants him to meet. It is God's will that broken people find this compassionate Christ. In him, in him alone, there is meaning, there is purpose, there is new life, there is forgiveness, there is a relationship with the living God. At this point, the woman begins to realize this is no ordinary man. She says, I perceive you're a prophet. 
And the two of them enter into a deeper spiritual conversation. She says, look, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. To which Jesus replies, I who speak to you am he. How riveting. This man in front of her is revealing who he really is to her. He is the Christ. And what's the result? We read that the woman leaves her water pot, the purpose for which she'd come. She's forgotten about it. She's left it behind. She's run back into the town. She's shouting and calling to everybody, come see a man. Come see a man. He's told me everything that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? You see, she's now got the living water. And then we read that crowds of men and women, they came and they spoke with Jesus. And they said this. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. What a testimony. This one woman whose life gets changed by Christ leads to the fact of hundreds of men and women coming to faith in Christ. And it was all in the will of God. And so that whole passage gives us very simply a glimpse of Christ's divinity and purpose, a glimpse of Christ's humanity, a glimpse of Christ's ability to change a person's life, and a glimpse of Christ's compassion for broken men and women. Let me close with a quote from Paul Tripp. No love will seek you, draw you, forgive you, protect you, empower you, and transform you like the love of Jesus. May you fall in love with him. Amen. Thank you, Johnny.